podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Malby on the Spot. Your weekly chance, thanks to Anfield Index Pro, to hear the wit and wisdom of the great Dane, Jan Mulby. And it comes to my attention, Jan, that this is the fifth season that we have begun uh, the campaign together uh, on this show. I don't know about you, man, but I've had marriages that have lasted uh, less time than that. It's, that's re- it's remarkable. It's a remarkable uh, a bit of longevity for us. And I'm very, very pleased with the four seasons that we've put in. Uh, so just from the, the a very, very genuine spot at the start of the show, I just want to say thanks for those four seasons because they have been fantastic and have coincided with a hell of a lot of good things for the club. No, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look back at the last 30-odd years of the club and, and, and we've been able to pick the last four years where, you know, the team that we're watching is as good as anything we've, we've ever seen. Uh, the only thing that's maybe slightly... Missing there's a few more trophies in it, but it, it's been terrific. And some of the players we've we, we've seen and been able to talk about some of the matches, the manager. Yeah, it's 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 been nothing short of sensational, really. Genuinely, yeah. From the top, I think it's it. We've gone from the champion league, Champions League winning campaign or something like. I think that's basically that's it. It's been just a, trophies and, and, like you say, success and, and and landmarks. It's been fantastic, and uh, there's so much for us to get through. Um, I know you were away on holidays there briefly. Hopefully, you got a nice break away from everything. Um, you know, because I keep telling you that I, I've been doing my best to stay away from the general bits and bobs as well. Guy there, soldiers on every day, uh, our producers listening carefully in the background um, with all sorts of podcasts and keeping abreast of things. And other people have done sterling work at the at, at the channel, like doing daily stuff like Dave, people like that. Um, but I have to say, man, um, I'm all I'm back all in now. I think it was the nature of the game that was the community shield. Um, I want to frame this up for you because I really want to get your take on it. Uh, I've said it now in a few shows, but it, I'm just interested to hear what you think, uh, say about it. The City game only meant something to me from the point of view of the psychology uh, of it. And I was wary of it for that reason. I didn't want them to get a leg up or any kind of psychological edge at all. And in that context... Could that thing have gone any better, man? Could it have gone any better? It was a real kind of toe-to-toe, high-tempo, high-standard football from both teams. We emerge with the win. Our striker emerges with the bragging rights over theirs. Um, It's hard to imagine a a, a more uh, psychologically beneficial curtain raiser than that. Yeah, I mean, and it's incredible to think that you know, when you think of the relatively short turnaround, the short pre-season, 
and certainly not the amount of games that the man would normally like. You know, and still to come out <clears throat> in that physical shape and also, you know, look razor sharp to play the, the kind of football that is required. So it was a remarkable game. I, I, I might even prize it the game of expecting us to be a little bit light in, in terms of some of the bigger names and whatever. But, you know, we, we, we wanted to win that, as you said before. Yeah, the result was one thing, uh, but psychologically it was massive because I think a lot of people had convinced themselves because City won the but the title again last season and they signed Haaland and whatever. So I think people convinced themselves that they might just be able to win this out of cancer. Uh, and that's certainly not the way I feel and, and, and the community shield. So I think it just gave every Liverpool supporter that little, little lift, isn't it, to, to go, listen, you know, we ain't about to go anywhere. Well, let's go straight to that, because like I say, whatever about us having gained a psychological edge, like, you know, the whole idea of Nunes getting his goal and and, and, and us getting a win over City for whatever that counts for. Um, I was very scathing about the idea of it as a title. I know you have been as well. So there's no point in, in, in being all revisionist history about it and saying it's a great win and we're so delighted with the trophy or whatever. It's not that. But I was more concerned with them having an advantage than us. Um, winning a game or, or losing a game or anything like that. It was just not so that they would have nothing by way of, of psychological advantage. And you've you've mentioned how some people had ventured that they might win at a counter, that the signing of Haaland might push them over the edge. And let's let's be fair here, Jan. It still might. Because anyone who's writing off that kid on the basis of that day is probably a bit dim-witted uh, because he could have had a couple of goals and then all of a sudden things look very different. But speaking of them with it, I mean, one of the things that I was told today was that uh, in, in, a, in a tweet was that um, it was in response to the fact that we've been doing this for so long and people love the show, it's their favourite show and all the rest of it. And one person was saying how, you know, they really appreciate your opinions and you're, you're, you're the best at what you do. And that probably explains why you're not working for Sky. The reason I say that <laughs> is because our pal Gary Nettle came out with this today or yesterday. Last season, we had a title race. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if this season Man City win it by a big amount of points. Now, I have two takes on this. One is that Gary Neville's a bit slow on the uptake. I don't think he is. So I think that's to drive a little bit of controversy for him, for the channel, for discussions, for Sky. What do you think? Because that seems like a very strange take. Or where where were you getting the idea that people thought City might run away with it? Well, I think I think sometimes it's it's, it's a natural reaction, isn't it? The season finishes, City wins it, uh, and although we paid more for for Nunez, I think a lot of people felt that Harlem was the was the better signing, and I think then people people have always convinced themselves that Manchester City have the better squad. They're simply better. A lot of people convince us that they have a better manager and they have a better squad. And I think that's why at the start of every season people go, it's going to be theirs and a cancer. But that's just overlooking the one thing that we've got, isn't it? You know, and as much as I've heard Liverpool fans right the way through the summer telling me that, oh, I would have loved us to have uh, signed a few midfield players and we've got a bit short midfield or whatever. Klopp, Klopp, I think he's quite happy with the midfield players he's got. He knows exactly what he asks of his midfield players. And let's not forget that. You know, in the last couple of years, Curtis Jones, Elliot, and Cavallio addition uh, to to that midfield. So I don't think we should be overly concerned. I think, I think Klopp would have. I think Klopp is really good 
had given the squad a, a, a kick up the backside. And it's not a negative kick up the backside. It's it's more of a kick up the backside to say to the lads, listen, come on, you know, we're better than this. You know, last year we went for all four trophies. We only got two. And the two priority, first and second, Champions League. And, and we should have got one of them. Let's, let's prove people wrong again. And I think he's very good at getting that kind of motivation out of the players where they look at each other and go, yeah, you know what, he's right. We're better than this. We should be winning more of the bigger trophies. And I think there'll be a massive reaction. I mean, let's not forget last time, a few years ago, when, when we lost the title by one point, there was a massive reaction from, from last year. And I keep saying this, that if you can get a gab on City, and I'm not talking about 10 points, but if you can get a gab on City, you know, with them out having, without them having games in hands or whatever, they, they might lose a little bit of heart. Because believe me, I think Liverpool is a bigger issue for City than City is for Liverpool. Although, you know, as a Liverpool fan, you go, well, all right, you know, City have took four of the last five titles. But I think they're more concerned with Liverpool because of what people convinced them, that they have the best manager, they have the best squad. And still, there's this competitive that, 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 that won't go away. And we'll just keep pushing people into what we now know is a red zone, isn't it? Liverpool keep pushing Manchester City into a red zone where you don't really want to be. Uh, but, but that's where we're at. I look forward to actually looking at City as um, the chief rival um, and alongside some of our other ones later on in the show. But it's a really interesting point you make and it's worth just teasing out this part of it here now that you've gone there. Because I couldn't help wonder about this myself. As the seasons have gone by, the pressure has grown, just like it did at Bayern, on Guardiola to win the big prize. Um, and it's hard It's hard to imagine uh, that even last season, that, that they didn't see the league as anything but a very, very nice consolation. Because again, like I say, the reason that guy was brought to the club, they had been winning leagues. They didn't really necessarily need a league winning caliber manager. They didn't possibly, well, I guess they did need to change the culture of the club a little bit, but they had a successful culture. Um, but the reason he was brought there was to elevate the club even higher and, and, and bring them to the, to the pinnacle. Now, it's hard to imagine a situation where he's not under really tremendous pressure to do that again this year. And look, we've seen that that's possibly something that might be a little bit of a chink in the Guardiola armour there, uh, is how he deals with that pressure. Certainly when it comes to media interrogation of any sort, he's a remarkably prissy man. He's very, very uh, defensive and delicate. Uh, he doesn't take any sort of suggestion of criticism or comparison well at all. Now, I'm not saying Klopp is wonderful with that, but he has a more, I think, directly confrontational and aggressive kind of response to it when he feels a little bit like someone's having a go and it's more relatable whereas Pep's a little bit like I said prissier what I'm getting at is once again the goal the objective for that club is going to be the Champions League and that could be another factor which would lead to us having a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the league campaign regardless of whether we go deep in the Champions League or not, because, you know, we had hoped they might take their eye off the ball and perhaps if they had gone a little bit deeper in the competition, they would have. Um, so it's it's an interesting situation, isn't it? I mean, what what do you what do you make of that as, as a thing that might be weighing a little bit on them? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a fair point. Uh, I think if you look, 
if you look at the top clubs in Europe, uh, there will be a number of those clubs uh, expected to do well, maybe even expected to win the Champions League. Uh, and most of those clubs is through through their own history, isn't it? And here I'm talking about clubs like Liverpool, uh, Bayern Munich, Juventus, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid. They are sort of expected to do well because of the history of that football club. And then you have sort of a modern-day pressure. And here I'm talking about Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, you know, they, they, they've sort of elevated themselves into the higher escalons of, of European football and are expected to win this trophy that I firmly believe is not something you just turn up and win. And I think that's been proven. So yet again, I have to say, before the Champions League start, do I think that either PSG or Manchester City are ready to win the Champions League? No, I still don't. I mean, PSG is, 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 is of no importance. We're not talking about them. But Manchester City... And do you know what I think, Trevor? I was looking at the, when Nunez scored that goal against Manchester City or whatever. And I just think that Ruben Diaz for Manchester City is not Virgil van Dijk. And, and, and I think that's a massive thing in that in those big moments, not when you're sort of flat-track bully in uh, the lesser teams in the Premier League, but in those big moments against the best, van Dijk is, is, is I would have to say, is almost a different level to Ruben Diaz. And I think often, that is just the one thing that decides, you, you know, whether you go through or not, or whether you lift that big trophy in the end. I, I might be completely wrong, isn't it? But, but I look at Manchester City and I think, are they ready to win it? There's other teams I'd rather back than, than Manchester City. Does it play on their mind? Of course. They can't keep they can't keep ignoring and can't saying we're happy to win the Premier League. Of course, you're happy to win the Premier League, isn't it? But as you said before, he's there for one reason uh, and, and he will take nothing away. I mean, should Manchester City manage to win the Champions League, it will also enable them to go to the next level, isn't it? Uh, in terms of picking up new supporters and whatever else goes with winning the Champions League, isn't it? But, but I think it's a fair point to say that whereas I don't think, you know, we got that 30-year monkey off our back. Uh, I, I think this is this is a big an issue for Manchester City uh, as winning the Premier League was for us. Yeah, and maybe we'll be able to leverage it. Who knows? I, I hope so. Um, I look forward to seeing the pressure uh, come down on them and, and how they handle it. it. It will be fascinating. And like I say, don't rule out the possibility that it will be a Haaland-inspired uh, machine of a team this season. Who knows? Who knows? But we'll look a little bit at their makeup and their um, potential first team, whether their squad is strong and their, their recruitment and stuff like that in the second half of the show. Uh, but just to have a quick look at the Reds. And again, we knew there was going to be precious little to talk about. I think some of us held out a little bit of hope around signing around midfield. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot going to happen. And I think, Jan, it might be mainly because of some things that have happened at the club, or certainly they will have contributed to the lack of likelihood of anything happening now. Because as we move into the first game of the season. We've seen the unfortunate spectacle of Curtis Jones going around in some sort of um, supportive boot and crutches. Uh, we've heard that Nabi Kate has an illness, in inverted commas, and we've heard the saddening yet tragically familiar news that Oxlade-Chamberlain has another serious and long-term-ish injury. Now, I choose to focus on that, not because I want to be downbeat, 
but because that was the area of the team that we were worried about, and you've just spoken about it, and you talked about how Klopp knows what he can get from those guys. But of course, as we've said before, they have to be there to be able to play. Uh, we can all have our debates about Curtis Jones, if Curtis Jones is fit to play. We can do that about Ox, if Ox is fit to play. We can do it about Naby, if Naby is fit to play. And at least two of those guys have often not been. So... I put it to you again, um, not as a kind of do we need to do something, because honestly, at this stage of, 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 this, of the, the, the game, with the real season around the corner, what does it matter? We've, we've expressed our opinions. But with the reality of what's remaining there to begin the campaign with, and with the hopeful news that I don't think Curtis is going to be too long out of the fray, and hopefully Naby, if it's an illness, will pass quickly. Um, do you think we have adequate there? Do you think, not not what you think Klopp thinks, but do you think we have adequate there to mount a challenge in at least one of the big two competitions and actually get over the line? Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. You know, and I think it's exactly to do with who is our manager. And, 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 and James Milner, if he has to play early on in the season and because of what Klopp would ask him to do, we'd be quite happy to see James Milner out there. Had Pep Guardiola been our manager, I might have looked at it different and gone, do you know what? We're going to be a bit short here. We're going to be a bit short in quality, isn't it? But club requires different things. So I can, I can go with that. And, and you're rightly pointing out, uh, Curtis maybe got to be a few weeks and Naby should be available before you know it. Uh, and the first few games, yeah, of course, going to Old Trafford is always a tricky one, isn't it? But we, we've got kind of a relatively okay opening to the, to the programme. But I just think that we look ready in the community shield uh, and you have to be ready. There is none of this anymore, you know, playing yourself into to some kind of uh, form. You, you have to be ready from the first day. Uh, so we're ready to go with a few short. I also believe that Ponati has uh, just been announced. Uh, this is Thursday. Just been announced. He's going to be missing a few weeks as well through injury, isn't it? But, you know, it's why you have as many players as we do. I'm not overly concerned. I think we can cope. Yeah, that of course um, was the next place I was going with it was the was the defence, and we obviously were doing okay there. Um, we're better than okay, but again, it, you're only doing okay when you've got availability. You can have all the wonderful players in the world, but if they're not available to you, then it's not real. It's not a real thing we're talking about. And hopefully, like you say, Canale will be a, a short term thing. But in the forward going areas both attacking midfield and striking options it is looking very very encouraging and exciting i was very enthused by the mo salah that i saw on display in the community shield uh, and in the uh, little bits i saw in the last two friendlies of the season and obviously i saw the four goal haul that um, darwin nunes had in one of those two games and really really enjoyed his contribution to the final in kind of making the game safe at the end there uh, for us. And Nunes himself seems to have settled in pretty well. There's a bunch of lads there who are doing an awful lot. Tiago seems to be front and centre in terms of helping him uh, acclimatise. Um, I have a question for you about that later on um, from your own personal experience. But he says, I want to thank the Liverpool fans. When I went down to start my warm-up, they were chanting my name. Um, it gave me goosebumps, he says. They were also singing my name during the game itself. That's really important for a player as it calms you down. And we spoke about this, you and I, in the last show, about how difficult it is to be the new big man on campus, or at least the new big man, big transfer burden 
weight of that uh, on the campus and to carry it. And it's it's really encouraging, isn't it, that he did get what was an important goal in many ways, um, if for no other reason than psychologically, and that he did feel that warmth from, from the fans as well um, that might help him get over the line and that he has that uh, little bit of a, a community around him within the squad. These are all massive things for us, Jan, because I don't know where you are on this, but I think that lad probably needs to hit the ground running if we're going to do the things that we want to do. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're going to be desperate for what he brings. Uh, and what he brings is also the ability to slightly change the way that we play. Uh, and that's very important. I also believe that we're better equipped to integrate him into the way that we play than City might be with Haaland. Uh, so, yeah, it is important for him to have all the confidence in the world. And he should have got that now from from the goals that he's managed to get himself also in the uh, in the preseason game uh, the other week uh, against uh, Dortmund. Was it, was it Dortmund? No, Leipzig. Leipzig, uh, yeah. When he, yeah. When, he got, when he got himself four goals against Leipzig. So, yeah, he'll be full of confidence. And it is nice to know that. And how, how the world have changed. You know, years ago, it would have taken a bit longer before the fans would even dream of singing your name, isn't it? But I just think that everybody's desperate for this kid to do well because he looks like, an, he looks like a kid who wants to do well. He looks like a kid who will do everything in his power to be successful. And you can see already now, he's what I call a flat-out footballer. Everything he does is a full blast. And he closes down, he sprints to close down. He, he's through on goal, he sprints. When he scored that goal, he's sprinting and jumping into it. He's just one of those, you can't help but being enthusiastic about somebody who shows as much enthusiasm as he does. And I think because of that, people go, never mind the price tag and all that, that's not his fault, is it? Here's a young lad from the other, right from the other side of the world, isn't it? And he wants to do well. And we're going to do everything we can to support him. And I'm, I'm, I mean, just in the last few weeks, I haven't seen him. And, you know, that uncertainty we saw from him, maybe in the first couple of preseason games, when we only saw brief appearances from him, that sort of uncertainty is that how do I fit in here now? That almost seems to have gone now, isn't it? When he came on in the community shield, he just looked like somebody who's at ease with the way that we play. Uh, and I thought it was very impressive. And, I'm not about to compare them to, to Haaland uh, because the two of them at the end of the season will, will, will score a lot of goals and then people can make their own minds up, isn't it? But Darwin Nunez is, is perfect with the way that we want to play and he's also perfect with the way that we just want to have little tweaks, you know. We, we don't make massive tweaks to the way that we play and to a lot of people, it, it won't be so visible, but we just make slightly different. But you, you, if he's going to be our number nine, compare him to the number nines we've had, Bobby, and Sadio Mane in the second half of last season. Well, he's totally different to them isn't it, in the way that he plays. So there's your little tweak, isn't it? And there's another challenge to the opposition. Go, well, all right, now we just have something that's slightly different to what you normally see from us. And I'm delighted you said that because it regularly bugs the shit out of me that people don't see the constant evolution of the team under Klopp. Um, he's still referred to or we're still referred to by some of his earlier sayings. Like, how many fuckers have to say rock and roll or heavy metal football or whatever? I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, I understand it's a catchphrase. I get it. How many people are going to keep throwing around gegging pressing or whatever? It's like, yes, fair play, well done. But 
the side has evolved because the personnel within it have evolved. You go from a situation where you might be carrying someone in defense a little bit. You go from a situation where you might be carrying someone in midfield a little bit, in attack a little bit, to where you've got this new sort of Rolls Royce of a squad. And there are subtle changes all the time. Yes, we had a very similar attack for a long time, but we didn't always have that very similar midfield behind him. So that involved tweaks in and of itself. And the fullback roles were always evolving slowly but surely. And I think people are a little bit slow to, to, to acknowledge that. So I'm really glad you went there. But there's one thing I want to ask you just before we sign off on the Nunes thing. Um, and that is... When you came to Liverpool first, because you know, I spoke recently to a few people about that story uh, that you told about um, Bruce bringing you out and leaving you in the basically leaving you in the pub on your own to get on with it. So there's clearly an advantage there that you have or you had over Darwin Nunes in terms of the language. And I, I wondered, can you remember anyone from your time there who really did struggle from that? point of view and how much of a thing is that we know like i said earlier on there are quite a few people who speak uh similar if not the exact same language and can help them model through but it's a big deal man it's a big deal i i I can't i've never been in that situation but i can imagine it's very difficult to be try to be professional and communicate professionally if you don't have the language uh obviously there's a different aspect to it when you're um an athlete because you can sort of do a bit of your talking with your feet or with your athletic prowess but how much of a deal do you think that is have you have you seen it work against people in the past yeah i have uh i mean obviously in my day it was different because i was the only foreign player in our dressing room so nobody really took too much notice it was just a case of carrying on as normal whereas i guess today that the players are a lot more aware and a lot of the players are foreign is the uh, but 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 if I look back, uh, and it took a, a while before we we signed the likes of Glenn Hussein, uh, obviously Swedish boy, no problems with his English. But we signed two players. Uh, one of them was Ronnie Rosenthal, and the other one was a Hungarian kid called Istvan Kozma. Uh, and and them two were very very challenged in in the language. Uh, Ronnie uh, got away with it to an extent because. He came in towards the back end of the season and scored a few important goals and quickly became a sort of a fan's favourite, but very limited English. But you never you never got the impression that Ronnie needed to be part of the wrestling. He was very much a loner. Whereas Istvan Kosma, I felt really sorry for him because he was a guy who needed confidence and needed somebody, I think, to, to, to maybe give him a hand to look after him. He was a wonderfully technically gifted footballer. Uh, unfortunately, due, due to the physical element of the game, that he was never going to make it. But I felt sorry for him. Because everywhere you saw him, he just sat there on his own, completely lost uh, in, 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 in what was going on. So whereas Ronnie sort of half managed to turn his Liverpool career into success, Isman Costa, most people say, he absolutely got nowhere near it. Uh, and, I, and I think the sort of language barrier in the dressing room was a problem for him because I also believe that it affected his private life. Him and his wife found it very difficult to integrate. Uh, they, I believe they lived up in Formby and, 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 and found it really, really difficult. Um, so, believe me, Trevor, and also for my own experience, it was only lasting five weeks in the Netherlands with Ajax. It's 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 everything. It, you know, we, we we can all play football, Trevor. You know, there's there's not a single footballer who will be signed by a Premier League club this summer who can't play football. But other things might stop you. 
settling in this quick, or you, you, you know, you, you don't, you don't, like you said before, you don't hit the ground running. Things go against you, and before you know, all of a sudden you don't look the player that, that the club supporting, and then they move you on because they can. Uh, so it is, it is very, very tricky. You have to settle in quick, but it, it looks like this boy is, 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 is. But just have a look at him when he's with the group, Travis. You can see when people are, are comfortable. You know, even if the language is a problem, he's still comfortable. He's not scared of going to people. And I also think that this sort of constant hugging there is in football today. But I don't think that does you any harm either. You know what I mean? That that that's a bit of a. I, I think there's a bit of a bonding that goes on between the players, isn't it? Uh, and I and I think all those things just help players to sell them. <laughs> I think that's a good point, man. I do think that's a very good point. And you're right. <laughs> it's changed so much. I mean, I won't, I, I don't want to come off as, 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 as uh, old man shouts at the cloud, grandpa Trev here, but you're, you're right. It's so different. I mean, people are far more, the players are far more sort of tactile. They're always kind of uh, hugging and, 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 and high-fiving and it's all that kind of thing. And I don't see how that can fail to, to connect you to people just by its very nature. But I suppose the comparison I was wondering about, and obviously it's a, it's a big ask, and I'm, I don't mean, I'm not trying to compare um, uh, ability, technical ability or, or achievement, because a lot of people who I know and whose opinions I respect very, very much uh, would still say that the single best season that they've ever seen for a Liverpool player was uh, Luis Suarez um, in that 13-14 um, season where... We came close. And they will just say, they've never seen anything like it. They've never seen a player like it. And, and you know, at the time, it kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. It felt like sacrilege. I was thinking of some of you guys, you know, you're a big mate. Like, like even the likes of, you know, your big mate, Rushy and Kenny and yourself. And I'm thinking, oh, hey, oh, let's have a, let's take it easy here. It's, you know, it's been a couple of good seasons or whatever. But Luis Suarez had a massive, massive impact. And he seemed to have very, very limited language. And I wonder, and this is where I'm going with the question, is there also a sort of a thing where, like in that um, in that uh, uh, sitcom Ted Lasso, if you've got a lad who's just full of enthusiasm and energy and positive vibes, and more to the point, talent, who displays that talent on the pitch, does it then kind of almost cease to cease to matter, Jan? Do you, do you know what I mean? Is that is that is that one way around it? Don't forget, Trevor. Ninety-five percent of footballers who, who come into a new dressing room have to follow the sort of rules and the way that that dressing room operates. And then there's five percent who come in and changes that dressing room overnight because of yeah. the way that they are. And yeah. Swires was one of them, wasn't he? He walked into that dressing room, and believe me, and nobody's ever gone into detail. But from, from day one to day two with Suarez, everything in that person would have changed because they would have gone, as much as Steven Gerrard was still Steven Gerrard, hey, there's a new sheriff in town here. You know, yeah. this, this guy is something else uh, in, the, in the way that he trains and plays and whatever. And he doesn't have to be able to fit in with the language and sit in the corner and, and, and have a laugh and whatever. He does something totally different, isn't it? But that's only for the very few. Most of them have to integrate into a dressing room, into his squad, uh, of, of players and also into a community whereas I think all of those things Suarez had no interest in any of them things and it wasn't important to him he came to do what exactly what he did and he was always going to be able to do that because he does things on his own term and he knows that within people seeing me for one day they will all change they'll know get in line behind me and follow me and we'll be okay 
I love that. I've got a question for you, actually, by the way, and it's just occurred to me, and, and I know you don't mind me doing this. Uh, you know me of all at this stage. Uh, we we kind of go wherever the ideas run. And, and, and just as you were saying that, the word intensity, I don't know whether you said it or it came into my mind because of what, how you were describing Suarez. And uh, I know that there's the Pep Linders book has come out recently. And I, I have to say, again, because it's pre-season, I've kind of swerved it so far, but it's going to be one of the first things I pop on my audible list now for the next week and how, give it a listen because I do find the lad very impressive. I love his enthusiasm. Um, I love his energy. I love how highly he's spoken of because I'm not a footballer. I don't know how good his coaching is and I don't want to talk about it in that way because anything I say is going to be secondhand opinion that I've gotten from somebody else until I read what he has to say. And the things that he says in uh, the various interviews I've seen in press conferences, you, the guy's eyes start to kind of almost dance in his head when he's talking about techniques and he's talking about um, training methods and he's talking about the lads with whom he works, the manager with whom he works. It's It goes beyond enthusiasm, Jan, is what I'm saying. And he seems to be a guy who's a general, a genuinely... A, 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 um, full of insight in terms of, of the game. And, and and we know that the manager rates him highly and it's part of why I hope that 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 Kloppo is sort of seeding a, a second boot room type thing here. I'd love that succession thing to happen, even though I know I've dismissed the idea of Stevie Gerrard because he hasn't won the league. So why would I why why would I be okay with Pep Lenders? I understand the contradiction there. But I'm I'm, I'm I'm excited by it. Do you think it's a thing you might ever get around to reading or listening to that new book by himself? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I didn't even realise he had a book out, but I have seen in the last couple of days, there was a few interviews for him. I was just wondering what it was all about. So now I know it's a new book. Yeah, of course I'll read that. Because insight, you can't beat insight. He's not going to tell you everything. Of course he's not. But he's still going to give you a little bit of insight, isn't it, uh, to what goes on. And these things are very important. And I always think, Trevor, and some people might... I'm asking the, 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 the our subscribers to listen to what I'm saying is that I was fortunate enough to almost right away through my career to play at the highest level. So I've always always been used to the best players. You know, when I was 15, I played for Denmark schoolboys. So I was used to playing with the best boys in Denmark. Can you imagine being a coach like Pep Linders, uh, not a great player, a coach, and working with players and having all that enthusiasm? And then all of a sudden, you reach the top the top when you've been used to working with so many average players. And, and, and that must be an unbelievable feeling. You know, I've getting to the top of the mountain and go, I can't believe how good these players are. I mean, that's the one thing we have compared to people who've never played the game is that we've come across them, whereas a lot of coaches haven't. And all of a sudden you, you, you arrive there and you go, I just can't believe how good these people are. There's nothing I can't do with these people. And I think that's the experience he's having at the moment, isn't it? He's so enthusiastic about how good the players he's working with are. And that must be a really nice feeling. And I'm delighted. I mean, it's, and it will never happen, but you almost feel that every coach should almost be allowed to experience that, shouldn't they? You know, when you work with so many players, and, and, and there's probably more footballers, what we say, that, that can't really play than players who can play. And most coaches will work with players where it's extremely hard to go over the same things again and again and again. And I think almost every coach, as a bonus, should have a week of working with the best players in the world just to realise this. This is really, this is football perfect, isn't it? You know, 
so yeah, I, I can understand where his enthusiasm is coming from. Uh, again, I think that's a really interesting point you've made because think about um, the absolute abuse that John Achterberg got for a few years. And maybe you weren't aware of this because you very wisely always stayed outside of the whole social media shite. And it is quite often just that. Uh, it can be beautifully connecting and all the rest of it, but it can also be just horrible. Uh, uh, in many many ways, but for many years, I again, and I'm going back to when I was writing writing columns um, four times a week. You were aware that people were criticising John Achterberg on a regular basis. Um, it was it was quite quite a notable thing because everybody loves a scapegoat, and you know, towards the end where maybe Raina was falling away and blah blah blah. In terms of standard, there was just this sort of chat amongst fans and some people you know you know the type Jan, who like to have um very definitive opinions on everything um john Achterberg was to blame for for why we couldn't sort out uh, a goalkeeping situation that was 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 solid and then allison comes along and then allison says that he's really enjoys working with Achterberg and he's never worked on anyone better and he enjoys his daily training in a way that he's never done before and all of a sudden we're winning things because he got a chance, like you just said, to work with somebody who's genuinely brilliant. And no harm to Simon Mignolet, you know, but Alison's next level. And that's the point you're making right there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and why would that John Ackerberg? John Ackerberg is, 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 a, is a friend of mine. Uh, I know him well. Uh, I, I live on a Whittle. Uh, and, and for the people who don't know, but John was a Trambia. And I think that was maybe John's biggest problem is that his CV wasn't, where people thought he should be. You know, he, he's only come from Tranmere. Is he any good? Uh, and, and we spoke about it, John and I, uh, and he he was disappointed. He wasn't angry. He was just disappointed. You know, he goes, what, does people, what, what, what do people expect? We'll get there in the end. And, and I always remember him once when we were talking about maybe getting a new goalkeeper. Uh, and he said, we're, we're not going to buy a new goalkeeper. He said, because at the moment, we don't think we can get better than what we got. And, I'm, and I might say funny when you think, well, at the time we had Mignolet and, and, and Carriers and whatever, but that's what he said. He said, but we have a target. He said, when we can get him, we'll sign him. And then you'll see. He said, and then hopefully the criticism of me uh, will, will, will stop. And that's exactly what's happened, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, now you look at him and Alison is one, isn't it? But what about the young boy, Keller? You know, somebody's got to be given credit for him, hasn't he? You know, because he, he looks something else as well, isn't it? So now, don't worry about John Axelberg. He's, he's well up to his job. A hundred percent, man. And, you know, down the line to Pitaluga and all these new newcomers who are really promising as well. And I, I just I just thought it's brilliant to get the story there from you to kind of highlight the point that I was trying to highlight from what you said. It's that's lovely. That's that's what this show is all about. I love that. People will have enjoyed that, no doubt. And, you know, I, I've been kind of teasing that we'll talk about other clubs. We're going to have to do it in a scattershot fashion because, you know, we're literally a day and 16 hours away from the start of the season. So we should probably talk about Fulham, right? And uh, and fixtures and the opening to the season and all that kind of thing, um, which we will do. Uh, but just quickly, um, on the whole recruitment front around the division, as far as you can see, what's taking your eye? Obviously, I mean, 
Chelsea and Man United are and Barcelona, uh, that whole sort of scenario has been endlessly entertaining. Um, and it has given us as Liverpool fans um quite a lot to 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 I don't know, maybe smirk at and and and, and enjoy in various ways. None of those clubs appear to be particularly happy. You're not really sure what's going on at any of them, if we're being perfectly honest. There's a lot of stories going on there. But I want to loop in Manchester City as well, let you talk about Tottenham, let you talk about whoever. I know that's a very scattergun thing, but let's just boil it down to what's taking your eye in terms of incomings to the Premier League that you've seen. The, the, The one that I couldn't help but just raise a real Sean Connery eyebrow at was Chelsea coming in for Cucurella at the at the at the at the last minute where he looked like he was nailed on for City, and again I think it's fifty one two million something like that. And what really 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 stuck in my mind was I was listening to the guy actually talking to uh, Dave Davis on, on on the transfer pod. The lad said that the reported wages are two hundred million pounds for Cucurella, and I'm like. What, what what's happening? What's happening here? Uh, is it just they're not getting their targets? Whatever. So I wanted to just tee it up. You don't feel like you have to address anything I've said there, but in terms of incomings now goings, what's really taking your eye in terms of you know what might have an impact on the season to come? I think that, that there's obviously clubs that were quite delighted with the business that they've done. Manchester City, you know, I think their incoming business has, has been good. I'm a little bit baffled by by by, by some of their sales. Uh, I think Liverpool again. We've done our business early, uh, and and we've got who we wanted. Uh, I think Spurs have done well. I think Spurs have got a a, a great A manager. And I think they bought well. They bought where they needed players. Uh, and they'll have a really good season. I think Arsenal relatively. I think they should make two super signings for Manchester City. And I know people are saying Sinchenko. I think Sinchenko is a really good player. Premier League experience, playing midfield, playing left back. He's a player that takes uh, uh, responsibilities. Uh, Jesus, I don't know whether he's, he's obviously not going to continue in the in the form that he's been in pre-season, almost scoring whatever he touch. But but he looks a good player. Uh, Forest, you know, Forest have, have kind of signed everybody that that wanted to come to them. They I think they've signed twelve and they're going to sign more. I have no idea how that's going to go. I have no idea whether Steve Cooper is as good as we think. He's never managed this level. Good luck to Forrest. It's great to have him back. Uh, and, and then you start to look at some of the others, you know, and you, and you look at what's going on in Leicester. You know, Casper Michael's gone. Talk about Madison maybe going to Newcastle. You, you look at Chelsea. I'm not sure about Chelsea. Uh, this, this, I mean, I don't want to go down the Gary Neville route and have a go with the owner. Uh, but I'm not sure that, I, I, don't, I don't know where they're heading right this moment in time. I could see them disappoint a little bit uh, this, this this season. Manchester United, I don't get it. You change everything. They've changed everything at Manchester United. They changed the managers. They changed the scouts. They changed the the CEO. Uh, they've managed the director. They've changed everything, and still nothing has changed. That's it. They can't t- find t- targets. They can't. Go on, sorry, Chuck. No, no. Let's let's bore in there for a second because I, any one of those tangents, I could talk to you for a full hour, but. We, if nothing else in this show, are consistent in our attempts at all stages to have a little bit of a snaker at Man United. So let's just, just while we can, maybe they'll have a wonderful season and rally, blah, blah, blah. But I, I just, I want your opinion on a couple of things. The 
high-profile reintroduction of Alex Ferguson into it, the high-profile questioning of the new manager about Ronaldo and leaving a match at halftime and so on, and the high-profile reluctance of a footballer that they dearly wanted to come to come to the club. And you talked about the various changes in the structures as well and, 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 and this sort of, in a way that Liverpool did, reaching out to the past and bringing Kenny in, no, are they, what, what do you make? What, what do you think is happening there? And is there a way in which like, we have to be a little bit, we should be a little bit wary and think, well, maybe they know what they're doing here. Maybe it's being overplayed because I find it hard to see anything other than reasons for having a bit of a snicker, you know? And I, I, I don't want to be that guy, but it's hard not to, Jan. So the one thing we don't know, Trevor, is how the season's going to go. So it's it's difficult. We can make some predictions. Uh, but if you look at the things that has happened, and, and, and you mentioned it, but you, you, we just go back to what I said before, and it, you, you've changed the manager, you've changed the coaches, you, you've changed the scouts, you've cha- changed the directors, and, and, and still... You can't get rid of the players that you want to get rid of. Uh, you, you can't sell them. You can't send them out on loan. You can't get any deals that you want. Uh, incoming players, even with all with brand new eyes, and there's bearing holes in that squad, players that you need. Uh, still, they don't seem to be able to deal with it. So they come in and they want Frank de Young. It doesn't look like Frank de Young wants to go to Manchester United, although I do find it strange that they would pursue that deal for so long if he wasn't interested. I don't know, but I'm looking at I'm looking at a bit like with all these new people coming in and having a new approach, why is there no one doing the Liverpool approach and go, this is who we want, this is who we want? Manchester United signed high profile players. So they found Frankie de Young, who's gonna cost him 75 million pounds. It's not exactly where you go, wow, unbelievable scouting, is it? But also every time they come up with one of these big names, they have to fight for them. You know, it's not like Liverpool would go and go, We'll take him, we'll take him, because nobody else has seen what we've seen. So I just don't know. I, I have no idea where, where, where they're going. Alex Ferguson, there's zero value in bringing him in again. There was zero value in bringing back Cristiano Ronaldo. And Cristiano Ronaldo is another one, isn't it, that he wants to go, let him go. He's prepared to go. He's prepared to forfeit some of his wages so he can play Champions League. But the problem is, Trevor, nobody wants him. You know, they've had to fish and run out for two months and nobody's bitten. You know, and it's a nightmare situation for Ten Hag. And I also think that all these things that we talk about, I don't think Ten Hag is in a position to help either. I don't think Ten Hag can go to Manchester and go, all right, we can't get the young, so I've got this fella, I've got my eyes on this. All he's been connected with is Ajax or ex-Ajax. You know, they've signed Ericsson, they've signed the left-back, the Dutch left-back from from, uh, from from Barcelona, who's obviously a Dutch, he knows him, and they've, they've signed the, the, the centre-half from Ajax, they've been linked with Anthony from Ajax, they've been linked from the young who's a former Ajax player, they've been linked with Hakim Seed from Chelsea, who's an ex-Ajax player. Does Ten Hag know enough? I really don't know. Having said all of that, it might click for them. I, I don't know. But looking at them, it's 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 a circus, Trevor. I have to say it's a circus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up, because... Um, if we've learned nothing else, it's to enjoy the moments when you can. And right now, that looks like a shit show. Um, and 
honestly long may it last but you know like you say like i think i've already said as well they may completely prove us wrong and we'll have to we'll have to um reevaluate uh but let's see that when it happens now look i want to talk to you briefly about um the fact that we're like i said at this stage uh, a day in 16 hours and 38 minutes and 22 seconds according to liverpool website away from beginning the season it will be against fulham at fulham and the opening to the season is quite interesting because we play on the 6th and we don't play again until the 15th in the Premier League. Um, we know there's some sort of game organised in between. Uh, that is at Anfield. And then we have uh, an Old Trafford outing against that lot that we've just been discussing um, on the 22nd. And to uh, see the month out, we have a home tie against Bournemouth and then away, oh, sorry, and then home again against um, Newcastle. Now, when the fixtures came out first, I remember thinking, well, look, all things being equal, uh, that's not bad. Uh, we begin against a newly promoted side. Uh, we then go uh, against Palace at home we have to go away to Old Trafford, which is theoretically tough. But in the current climate, with the way things are with them, who knows what that will be? Uh, we then have another um, side uh, like Fulham in Bournemouth to play at home, and then Newcastle, who that you know traditionally that's not a bad game for us. So it's not a bad start to the season yet, and you can see how with the emphasis on getting momentum. Um, Jurgen's probably quite hopeful about that sequence, isn't he? Before we focus on Fulham specifically. Yeah, I mean, I, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that, you know, up to the first international break towards the end of September, we're flat out. He's earmarked that as, 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 as winning every single game. There's no doubt in my mind. He, he knows the importance of that also with that break in November. Isn't it? So, I mean, Fulham, it's always difficult to play a newly promoted team. There's an enormous amount of confidence, which they've gained from last season, where they smashed all sorts of records in the championship, scoring over 100 goals and looking really good. But playing an unbelievably open game with defenders who give me the impression that they're not of Premier League quality. Uh, we then get Crystal Palace. I think Crystal Palace might be slow starters. Uh, they've had a difficult pre-season, so they might take them a few weeks before they hit their stride. Old Trafford will be difficult. They'll put up, put up a show. But we have better players. And I think the fact that we have better players will, will, will be enough for them to beat the Bournemouth. Pretty straightforward at all. Newcastle. Like you said, historically a good game for us, but that's now a difficult game. Eddie Howe has done a really good job, and they'll come to with a strong squad. But no, I'm I'm, I'm confident. Uh, Fulham, I, I don't know whether they're co- going to compromise a little bit with the way that they want to play, and they want to be a bit more organised and defensive. Uh, well, I just think that their defenders are not Premier League qualities, and if they decide to play an open game, I think we can do some real damage. Well, let's take a, a, an opportunity to look at them then for the last part of the show as has traditionally been our way. Uh, Marco Silva there is under contract till 2024. Um, depressingly, Marco Silva is four years younger than me. That's uh, three years younger than me. That's quite. That's that's quite. It's quite upsetting. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention the lovely luscious locks he's got. Um, not unlike yourself, you bastards. Uh, but I, I do, I do, uh, I do always wonder a little bit about him. Um, I, I was never quite sure what what it is that he is. 
uh, I could never see it on a pitch, really. Uh, and that could be just me. Um, and and, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with Fulham in the Premier League. In terms of how they've sort of tried to enhance what they have uh, to offer, they've taken in uh, quite a few. They've brought in Xiao Palinha from Sporting Lisbon, uh, who's a defensive midfielder, and they got the Pereira from United. Um, Palinha was, uh, I think, 18 million. For under 9 million, they got Andres Pereira from United. Um, Mbabu from Wolfsburg is 5 million. Bernd Leno came across from Arsenal for 3.2. Um, they've got a guy called Salomon uh, from Shakhtar Nenetsk on a loan. Um, Anguissa, there's some weird stuff going on between Napoli and them. And they got in Stephen Sessignon, um, whose loan ends at the end of May 2023 from Charlton. Um, now, in terms of the people that they lost, that we might, or people might be aware about of from previous, uh, the previous appearance of Fulham, uh, Cyrus Christie, who obviously uh, plays for my country, uh, right back is is sort of clubless, as is Fabry, the keeper, and Michael Hector, and Alfie Mawson, um, a couple of names that might be familiar with people from the past. Uh, and then there's Jean-Michel uh, or Michael uh, Seri, uh, who's gone out. Seri, I think, has gone to Hull on, on a free transfer. Unbelievable stories about Seri back in the day. About uh, he was so highly rated, but then he came to England. I think it was just too cold for him. I remember what I was writing at the time. There was talk about how he couldn't really play because he kept getting chill blains, which sounded very uh, um, Charles Dickens. But obviously, it was a serious affliction for him. And obviously, they've lost Fabio Carvalho as well. In terms of how they've sort of set themselves up for this campaign um, and what you think they might be able to offer. Let's just take them as the first of our teams. And let me just ask you a question. I was asking um, my mate Dave Davies, who does the transfer pod with me. How are you feeling about them and their ability to survive? Uh, I'm worried about them. Uh, I, I do think there's a golden opportunity because if you look if you look at it, so what we know, Trevor, from, from history is that the newly promoted team find it difficult. But I think you can add a lot of other teams to that. That's going to find it difficult. Leeds is going to find it difficult. Southampton is going to find it difficult. Everton are going to find it difficult. Bulls are going to find it difficult. There's a number of other clubs who are going to struggle. Sigos, uh, they don't have to have the squats. Uh, I don't. I think their season makes or breaks with Mitrovic. A couple of seasons ago, he scored 26 goals in the Championship. To get promoted to the Premier League, he scores three. To get relegated, he scores 40. He scored 43 league goals that year, Trevor. Yeah. Last time he was in the Premier League, he looked like a championship striker in the Premier League. You just don't get the same space or the same time. So unless he can fire, I just can't. I mean, you you mentioned the boy, Manor Solomon, uh, Israelian. He's played at the highest level in international football, Champions League, with Shakhtar. And he looks a good player. But there's a long way to go. Harry Wilson, we know. He's a very good player. Physically, maybe not quite up to it. Midfield is the interesting bit with Pereira, who I've never really seen what's in. Uh, but the Portuguese, Palfino, looks a decent enough player. And then, of course, they got Harrison Reed as a, as a, as a sitting number six. 
but it's defensively where they worry me. Tim Ream is still in as a centre half. I, I don't know what he mentioned before, but he obviously took the goalkeeper from Arsenal, uh, Bern Leno. Uh, yeah, with, with, with yeah, which again is yeah, for me is neither nor isn't it? So I worry, I worry. Uh, I, I could see them not being able to break the cycle. And when I'm talking about the cycle, it's the yo-yo cycle, isn't it? Up and down, up and down. I, I, I could see them getting relegated again. Now, with that in mind, then, I suppose we have to go and ask the obvious question to finish the, the, the show like we always do. That is our first game in the season. That is, like we've said, you know, uh, less than two days' time. Uh, it's a weird time in the middle of the day on the Saturday. What are you feeling in terms of how it's going to go in terms of a result? Well, obviously, you know, before balls been played in, in the Premier League, we have all these ideas of how we think uh, things are, are going to work out and, and, and most things we might be able to predict. But there's always some surprises, isn't it? I don't think there'll be any surprises in Liverpool season. Uh, I, I think we'll be strong. I think we'll be able to go right to the wire. Uh, you know, whether we'll prioritise all four trophies again, I'm not so sure. But I think we'll be strong. You might mention Mo Salah before and, and what you saw. I, I, I saw it first time I saw him this pre-season. He just looked like a new man. He got that weight off his shoulder. The disappointment of of, of the African Cup and Asian signing a new contract. He, he, to me, looks brand new. Uh, and I just simply think that we're going to have too much intensity, too much pace, too much ability. And as I said before, I can see us doing some real damage. I think we'll beat them 4 now. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hell of a way to start. Jan, we did a lot in that show. And for the first one of our fifth season together, I'm very, very glad to be able to say thanks very much. Yeah, it's, 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 it's been great. I mean, you know, the summers are what they are, Trevor, and we can talk as much rubbish as we want, isn't it? But this is the real deal now, isn't it? There's nothing like it. There's nothing like that feeling as a fan or as a player, isn't it? You know, let's go. The last few weeks of preparation, spending four teams on new players, settling in players, pre-seasons or whatever. Now we start to real. Let's see what you've got. And if you're listening to us, you've just heard Jan Mulby and you are very lucky to be able to do so because honestly, I've gained an awful lot from the years that I've been able to spend chatting to Jan on a detailed basis on this show. And I know from constant affirmations from people that they have too. All we're interested in doing now that the channel is in its new iteration is growing the listenership for this podcast because... Let's be honest, people deserve to hear what this man has to say. So if you like it, and if you've been listening to it, and unlike in previous times, just tell someone about it. Let them go on off and listen to it for free, because they can do that now, and things are different. But hopefully, in terms of results, in terms of what Liverpool have been doing since we've been doing the podcast, things will remain the same. I've been Trev Downey, that was Jan Malby. This is Malby on the spot, Guy Drinkle produced, and we'll be back very soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. 
It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.